Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have Spencer with our joke. Hi, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Spencer. We got uh, another great joke from Take Me to Your Sponsor. Best jokes in cartoons from A.A. Grapevine. It's a miracle. A pastor is stumbling across a parking lot looking for his car. When a cop sees him, the officer walks up to him and asks, Have you had anything to drink tonight, sir? No, the pastor replies. So what's in the cop? Uh, cup? The cop asks. Water, sir. Take a look. Looking in the cup, the officer says, This isn't water, it's wine. Gasping, the pastor exclaims, He did it again. <laughs> I'm a recovering alcoholic. My name is Brandon. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everybody is ready, let's start the meditation.
God, let your love shine through me like a father, so those who are lost in dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Joe to come up and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feelings and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations through frequent and by no means the, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With a few exceptions, our members find that they have ta uh, tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish that to say that alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerence denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man everlasting in ignorance. That principle is kept prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn it off. Tonight we have Pat. Uh, I'm really excited for the message he has, so let's help welcome up Pat. Pat, and thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in our big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA. 
I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it gave me a new life, and uh, a new life worth living. And before I forget, I, I want to uh, wish everybody who's celebrating uh, this weekend a, a Merry Christmas. Uh, it's just a, an amazing time of year for me, and I was sharing with Maddie and a couple other guys today that, uh, you know, I've been around a few decades, and uh, I have never felt this close to the God of my understanding in my whole life. I mean, it's just, uh, it just gets getting incredibly better, and I keep getting in, uh, closer and closer to I don't even know how to describe it anymore. You know, it's, uh, and it's through adversity. I mean, it seems to be always, all my spiritual growth seems to come through adversity. I mean, I went through a little desert period uh, uh, over a conflict that took place uh, this year. And, uh, and it pushed me out of my comfort zone and, uh, and around some, uh, some men that I had known, but I had never really taken the time to get close to. And I, I used to label them when I first got here the God Squad, you know. Those people that you want to avoid, you know, the, those people that say Jesus in the meeting, those guys, you know, violate the traditions and stuff, you know, and, uh, and now I want what they have. Now I want to be near those people. I want to be, I want to be part of those guys, and, uh, and it's incredible that, uh, that it just keeps getting better, and I, when I heard that when I first got here, and if you're new here, I know it sounds like a crock, you know, it just... Uh, how can it keep? How can you be a member of AA and say it just keeps getting better? Or how can somebody get up here and say they have a light beyond their wildest dreams and be in AA? And uh, that used to baffle me. You know, like I said, so you know, I wanted to tell them, do you know where you are? You know, you, you're not, in the real world. You're nothing. You you can't even say that in the real world. And man, I'll tell you, it's uh, it just gets getting incredibly better. And and a lot of it is is due to. Uh, just the willingness to take this leap of faith and believe that you guys had an answer here because I, I didn't think you did when I got here. And, it's, uh, and I can't prove it to you. I, I just, I, it's one of those things. I, you know, having had a spiritual experience, I can't even describe it or, or prove to you that I've had it, but it's been proven to me. I mean, I have gotten results after results after results, and, and that equals faith. And that's, that's the formula here. And... Uh, you know, I can't wait to see what's next. And uh, uh, we were, we've been talking about the ninth step amends, and a lot of it is that, you know, to, to keep, keep cleaning up, keep, keep the, the slate clean, and, and keep making an effort to clean up the past. And uh, seems like the more I do that, the better I feel. You know, the, 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 the central fact of my life today that is, is God. You know, and ask yourself that. What, is this, what was the central fact of your life today? You know, what did you think about the most today? That's the central fact of your life. Where, where were your thoughts centered today? That's the central fact of your life. Yeah. I walk with God constantly, all day long anymore. I mean, it's just, that's the central fact of my life. The other stuff is just work and relationship. You know, all that other stuff is kind of on the outside. But, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big, uh, and we'll talk more about it next week probably, but I'm a, a big Brother Lawrence fan. You know, and Brother Lawrence talks about why do you set, why do you have to, why do we have to set aside time for prayer? How about we just pray constantly? You know, and that's kind of the way I walk. And and that sounds silly to somebody who probably knew, unless you felt the results that I get from it. You know, unless you felt the freedom that I get from that. You know, and and if you're tormented like I am, (laughs) 
then uh, you appreciate freedom. You, you appreciate peace, you know, and, and I value it. And I don't ever want to give that up. And uh, so anyways, I, we left off last week and I and I we talked about uh, financial amends and criminal amends and, uh, you know, uh, relational. Uh, I never really got to some of the family stuff. And but I, I didn't mention before uh, we left uh, last night or last week about possibly not going immediately to make that direct amends for the harms with the family. You know, we're tempted to do that because we want to get our feet back in the door and we want all that credibility. We want immediately credibility, especially when it comes to relationship with wives and children. And my mother was, was, uh, was important. And, uh, but I don't have any credibility at, at, the, at the point that I want to make the amends because I want to do that immediately. And that's that obviously uh, those are the people we hurt the worst and we harm the most. And uh, but there has been no demonstration in my life that I've changed. You know, the proclamation, the words mean nothing at this point. They've heard it before. My mother had heard it before. My kids had heard it before. My ex had heard it before. Until there's some kind of demonstration. And it didn't have to, like my, my sponsor used to tell me, and I tell my guys, it didn't have to be anything big. It had to be like remembering Mother's Day, you know, like remembering their birthday, you know, give them a, show up with a card instead of showing up and asking for money, you know, or, or wanting something from them, you know. And that demonstration shocks them. My mother, when she, when she finally got a Mother's Day card or a birthday card from me, she was shocked, like, she probably had a spiritual awakening. Yeah. But my poor mother got a good night's sleep when I was locked up. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine I didn't have to go through that, having a child out there in the streets using, you know, and wondering where they were at night and whether they were alive or dead. I didn't have to. And that's the harm versus what I did wrong. You know, I didn't have a child where I had to hide my valuables just in case they showed up when I wasn't home. You know, I didn't have to go through that. My mother did. And, and she had three out of the four of us that were addicts and alcoholics. You know, I don't know what happened to my brother. I don't know how it skipped him. You know, he got a banana allergy. You know, we all got alcoholism and drug addiction. You know, he does have different colored hair. I don't know what the hell happened there. <laughs> But I had to demonstrate that I had changed with my mother. I was the prodigal son. I was the prodigal son. I was the son who went off on a run for 20 years you know, and came back sober. And, uh, and I didn't even realize some of the harms that I had done to my mother until she, she voiced, voiced it. I, I tried to, you know, and that's the thing I was talking about last week. Some of the amends that I've made, I've made amends recently for stuff that I did in the 70s. I mean, this is just goes on and on and on, and the more it happens, the better it is, you know. I, I remember my mother, my mother was a registered nurse, and uh, she hurt her knee, and she wanted to have some knee surgery, and uh, just went for a knee replacement, and, uh, and flatlined, uh, what was that Imperial Point Hospital? She flatlined during the surgery, having her knee done, and uh, was in a coma uh, for quite a while. And uh, we, I mean, we actually had given her last rites. I mean, it was just one of those deals, and thought I was going to lose her at that point. And 
And I was there constantly as her advocate, you know, and uh, she came out of this coma and she looked at me and she said, why don't you get along with your sister? Now, you wonder what goes through their mind, what torments them. My mother was tormented because I didn't get along with my sister. My sister and I were at odds all the time. And, it, and uh, I immediately made amends with my sister <laughs> because it was what she wanted. But, you know, it just, it, it just surprised me that that's what would be on her mind. And, you know, it, my mother hang, hung around for a couple of years. And by the way, any financial amends that I had, even though she didn't want the money, and they don't want the money, they want their child back. They don't, they don't want the money. But I gave them the money. They got the money. One way or another, indirectly or directly, they got uh, any, and above that, I, anything that I could do for my mother. I could never do enough for my mother because I knew I could never pay back sleepless nights. I knew I could never pay back the worry that I put her through for 20 years. Yeah. So anytime she needed anything, I was there. And, uh, and I don't say that to brag. It was just, it just, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. It wasn't an obligation. It was just I wanted to be there for her. And uh, she she ended up uh, having another couple of times where she nearly died, but she ended up in bedridden over that knee thing for what three years, I think, and uh, until she finally knew that the end was near. And uh, and before she passed, she put her life in my hands. She put her life in my hands. You make the call. Yeah. And I went from this drug addict, alcoholic, to my mother's advocate. And that was just an incredible feeling. Uh, and I, and I, I look, as, as much as nobody wants to, to lose their mother, I knew my mother was going to a better place than where she was. I, I was glad to see my mother not have to be in that pain that she was in and bedridden like she was. And so I really be, uh, I think she was rewarded, you know, uh, in the end. But. But it's just amazing how th- what this program can do, how this program can transform my life and your life if, if you let it, if you let it. You know. My stepfather, you know, I'm st- still making amends to him. Anytime I can help him out or do anything to him, you know, he's just, that poor guy had no idea what he was getting into when he married my mother. <laughs> Matter of fact, the, between the three of us, they ended up divorced, and once we left the house, they ended up back together. You know? Poor guy, he used to steal his car. He'd have to take a bus to work, and I was out partying with his car. Pleasure or principles? Pleasure. (laughs) I'll take the pleasure. The one that I I really want to share with you, and and I wanted to end with it last week because it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, My oldest son was 12 when I got sober. And uh, my youngest was two. My youngest never saw me or never remembers seeing me uh, drunk or high. But my oldest was part of the insanity, part of the insanity. He, he witnessed uh, the battles between him and, my, and his mother. My son saw my fist come through his door uh, there's a child who ran from me 
and locked himself in his bedroom, and I put my fist through his door to unlock the door from the inside. No child should have to be afraid of their parent like that and, and, and have to witness that kind of stuff. I, I became my father. I witnessed it as a child, and I became my father, which, by the way, in the ninth step uh, part of this program, gives you a little better understanding of who he was and maybe, maybe forgiving him frees me. Maybe forgiveness frees the forgiver, you know. And, and, it, and not that I'm condoning it or, or uh, but I can understand how life can throw you a curveball and take you down a road you did not intend on going and become somebody you did not intend on becoming. And when I looked at my father and looked at his life raised by two alcoholic parents, who his father used to call home drunk in the middle of the night and wake them up for entertainment, you know. And uh, then they would have to get up and go to school the next morning. You know, I could understand why my dad might have problems with relationships, you know, down the road. And, uh, and I became him. And, and my son saw, witnessed the same thing that I witnessed that I hated my father for. You know, I knocked his mother down in front of him. So I made amends to my son. Uh, I was about a year sober. And uh, I don't know what I expected when I, when I made the amends, when I, uh, the deeply regret conversation, you know. And, uh, and his response was, yeah, that sucked. He wasn't, he wasn't going to condone any of it. He said, that sucked. I had to move out of my bedroom. We had to rent an apartment. You know, we had to move a couple of times, you know, and went on and on and on. It just vented. And, it, and, it, and, I, and I, that's part of what the process is, is to give them a chance to vent. And, and that was the end of that. You know, I, I never really approached it again after that. Uh, my, and not that my son and I haven't had a great relationship. Uh, the last, at that point, uh, when I got this from him was 27 years, you know. And I was doing a step series down at Palm Bay, and, uh, and I get a text from him. And it says, uh, he says, I want to thank you for all the skills you've taught me and the ethics you've driven into me about working hard and doing what's right. I know there were plenty of speed bumps along the way, but I want you to know how much I appreciate you taking the time to let me learn and providing me with a foundation for being successful. So I don't know if I've ever really said thank you. And I just hope... I can continue to be the pers- that person for my kids. He said, I love you, and I look forward to the next time we get together. This is 27 years later of me making amends. So I wrote back to him. If I ever get to it. I said, thank you so much. I'm so proud of the man you've become. I couldn't be prouder. Yeah, there were bumps along the way, and I truly regret that. But you and Joe, his brother, have always been and will always be the most important people in my life. Thank you for being you. I always look forward to seeing you. Can't wait to see you again. And he writes back, don't regret anything. It was all part of the journey. Have a good night. There's a line near the end of... uh, the ninth step near the end of into action it says there's a long road of reconstruction ahead. You know, 
it took 27 years of demonstration for him to believe that I was on the right road. You know, they were waiting for the shoe to drop for years. And, and let me tell you something, that the old beast came out quite a few times. The old attitude, the old behavior came out quite a few times. The only difference is I didn't pick up a drink. But they saw the rage once in a while. I, I'll never forget, I was, like, we, we, we're all, I think we're on our way to Disney World. And, and I come out, and the dog comes running out of the house, and the dog runs all through the mud and then jumps inside the car and takes the mud all over the upholstery in the car, all over the cloth upholstery in the car. And I freaking lost it, freaking lost it. And after losing it and get this dog and corralling this dog and putting this dog in the house, I come back in the house and they were all in the car like this. Like just what, what's next? What, there he is again. You know, I was probably five years sober at that time. You know. So it took a while to gain credibility with him. And, and he's right. It, it, the demonstration means so much more. And I'm not saying that the demonstration has to become come before any of the proclamation, but, it, but without the demonstration, the proclamation means very little, you know, and, and especially with family. But, you know, and the, we talked briefly last week about the indirect amends and, and stuff like that. And, and, and I want to... I want to... Uh, I stole something from... Uh, Charlie Parmelee years ago uh, when he, before I read the promises, if I read the promises. And uh, I'm going to read the promises a little bit different. You know, I, I shared with you guys the first week I was here uh, what a tormented child I was. And, uh, and I was suicidal at a very young age. And I, I, don't even, I don't have no idea why that was. I don't know why I'm wired the way I am. I don't know if my, my childhood had anything to do with that. I don't, like I, I've always said, I, I'm an alcoholic because I can't stay stopped when I'm given a good reason and I can't control it once I start. That's the two things that define me as an alcoholic. Why I needed a drink is another story. You know, I don't know whether the, the insanity and the violence in my house had anything to do with why I needed a drink or why I was tormented, or why I suffered from anxiety and fear, or if I was just wired that way. I don't, I don't know, and it's not even relevant anymore to me. I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't seek outside help for that. You know, I have what I need here. You know? But I will tell you this, that uh, at 16 years old, halfway through a bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill, I knew a new freedom and a new happiness. When I took that drink, I didn't regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. When I drank, I could comprehend the word serenity and I could know peace. When I drank, I could see how my experience could benefit others. When I drank, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappeared. When I drank, I lost interest in selfish things. I gained interest in my fellows. When I drank, self-seeking disappeared. When I drank, my whole attitude and outlook on life changed. When I drank, fear of people and economic insecurity left me. When I drank, I intuitively knew how to handle situations that used to baffle me. When I drank, 
I realized that alcohol was doing for me what I could not do for myself. You know, the truth is alcohol might have saved my life at 16 years old. Because I couldn't stand the way I felt as a child or as a teenager. How could you not love that? How could you not fall in love with that? I mean, I never wanted to feel any other way. But, but, do, but what alcohol made me feel like. But it took me to a place where it talks about the bedevilments on, on page 52, where it talks about we're having trouble with personal relationships, can't control our emotional nature, prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, had a feeling, a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear, and I was unhappy and couldn't be the help or use of any other people. And I found the place where alcohol stopped working, or I wouldn't be here. I would not be here. I needed to find a power as great, if not greater, than alcohol. I needed to find something that was going to do for me what alcohol did for me. That's what you introduced me to here. That's what you brought to me here. A power greater than alcohol. I didn't need a power greater than me. I needed a power greater than that. And that's what happened. When it, you know, I, I think I shared with you guys when I did my fifth step, I had a, a spiritual experience at five. You know, some have it at three, some have it at five, some have it at nine, some have it as a, as a result of practicing 10, 11, and 12 in their lives over a period of time, the educational variety that we talked about uh, at the beginning of the meeting. I had mine at five. And it was the first time in my life after doing my fifth step, and I did mine with Father Quinn, that I was at peace without a substance in my body. That I felt no anxiety, no fear. No, I was just at peace. And I want more of that. I want more of that. You know. And that's when I knew that this program was for real. That's when I knew that God is real. And, and I'm not, if you don't believe that, that's fine. But I've had proof in my life. I can't prove it to you, but it's been proven to me. God entered my heart that day. And I had another alternative. And I, and I find God in a lot of places that I go. I can connect with God. I can connect with God when I really earnestly pray. I connect with God when I walk into this room and, I, and I'm with you guys. You bring God to this room. I find God when I walk into any church. Any church. It doesn't have to be my church or even my religion or my denomination. It doesn't even have to be that. I just feel the presence of God there. I feel the presence of God when I call my sponsor and I'm talking to my sponsor. I feel the presence of God when I'm with a sponsee or when I call my sponsee. Can't prove it to you, but it's been proven to me. And by the way, when I say God, whatever you think that is, that's what I'm talking about. You know? However you, and that's the cool thing about AA, right? We get to define our own conception of God. AA is doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. It got me right with God. It got me right with myself, and it got me right with you. And then it's about how do I stay there, <laughs> right? How do I keep that? Because I got to go to work now, right? I'm standing out in front of, of Father Quinn's office, and I'm feeling this peace and serenity. But I got to go deal with you now. You know, I got to go do life. 
I got to go get into traffic. I got to go deal with some customers. So how do I stay there? Well, 10, 11, 12 is how I stay there. That's how I keep that. That's how I, and look, I get out, I get out of there, but I get back, I, 10, 11, 12 gets me back there. You know, in the, in the big book, in, in my opinion, in the big book, 10 and 11 are inventory steps. You know, 12 and 12 separates inventory in step 10 and then prayer and meditation in step 11. But the big book's pretty much showing 10 and 11 as, as setting a course and staying on course, right? Staying in the sunlight of the spirit. And when we get out of the sunlight of the spirit, get back into the sunlight of the spirit, you know? One of, the, one of the few places, probably four or five different places where Bill repeats himself. It's one of the few places where he uses continue, 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 continue. You know, four times he mentions the word continue. Yeah. It doesn't say maintain, maintain, maintain. It says continue. We, we refer to it as a maintenance step, but it's, it's a growth step. It says it's a growth step. Right? We've entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Understanding of God in this program and effectiveness in carrying that message. Yeah. Entered the world of the Spirit. And by the way, when it, with my guys, we do a couple, we do two amends, and then we move in to 10, 11, 12 as they clean up the past, right? As they continue on that ninth step. We don't sit on any of these steps. Uh, my opinion. This was meant to do rapidly. This was meant to put a foundation under you, stop the bleeding, and move in to the world of the spirit and continue. <laughs> right? And we're going to do inventory. The, books, the 12 and 12 talks about spot check inventory, nightly inventory, semi-annual inventories, annual inventories, uh, some of you want to do one inventory in four and then call it a spot checks. And uh, I don't care what you call it, but we're going to be doing self-examination for the rest of our lives. That's, that's the deal. We're going to be looking at us for the rest of our lives, constantly looking at us. Yeah. And I'm not, I, however you think that works for you, that's fine. Or however you think your sponsor thinks that works, you're fine. Yeah. But I want to tell you, this was not meant to be a year process. If you're the real alcoholic and addict, You've got a spiritual window to deal with. We refer to it disrespectfully as a pink cloud. But it's really a spiritual window that God gives us to take your hand and put it in God's hand. To get you to a point where you can live without a drink or a drug. And then we grow, right? Then we grow from there. To maintain something that's living is to promote its growth. To maintain this building is to keep it the same, but to maintain a plant, you're promoting its growth. To maintain a human being, we're promoting its growth. That's that's where we're going here. We're we're about growing. I love the, uh, Bill talked about the fourth dimension, the new frontier, the emotional frontier, right? Emotional sobriety, that's what we're talking about now. The obsession was lifted to me in five. Yeah. Now, I know that's not always true. I mean, look, Dr. Bob took two and a half years before he was free of the obsession. Yeah. Some of you drug addicts and, and crackheads, and where's my crackheads at? All right. Yeah. Love you guys. 
Love sponsoring you guys, man. <laughs> you don't have to spend much time on the doctor's opinion. I'll tell you that. You guys get obsession and compulsion. <laughs> but the body's going to take some time to repair nutritionally and chemically. You may have that obsession. You know how Bob overcame the obsession? He sponsored 5,000 people in 15 years. He took 5,000 people to the steps in 15 years. Figure that math out. That's how he stayed connected to God. That's taking people through the, one a day. That's, that's at least one a day. They were doing it in half a day, by the way. They were getting through it. But this is the new frontier. How do I stay emotionally connected? How do I stay at peace? I, I would imagine that in the late 30s, uh, they were dealing with three dimensions, length, width, time, time probably. The fourth dimension, or length, width, depth, and the fourth dimension would probably be time. Right? And that's what step 10 is, right? Step 10 is about time. But the time is now, right? It's about now. I used to laugh. I think it was Tom that used to say only an alcoholic would have to be rocketed into now, right? When Bill talks about you rocketed into the fourth dimension, we don't, when you lose that, be rocketed into right here, right now, right? But that's all there is, right? When I'm disturbed, what is it? I'm living the wreckage of the future, right? Or I'm living the past, right? I'm regretting the past or, or fearing the future that hasn't happened yet, right? But when I'm in the moment, I'm fine. But staying there is the trick. And that's what, to me, what step 10 is about saying. It's about staying in the now, staying here, right here, right now. And that's what they're talking about. They're, they're, they're talking about continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Step four. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them. Six and seven. We talk about it with someone else. Step five. We make amends quickly. Eight and nine. Then we turn, in, we turn to step 12. How do I get out of myself? Who can I help? My, my sponsees think I'm calling to help them. Usually I'm calling to help me. You know, usually I want to get out of my shit. Right? I'm asking them how they're doing, but it's really about me. Yeah. Because I get freedom as soon as I reach out to somebody else to help somebody else. As soon as I get that phone call from one of my sponsees, whatever's going on in my life, it disappears. It's not important anymore. That's what's important. Then it talks about love and tolerance, because others is our code. Four through nine, all the time. That's, to me, what step ten is. Four through nine, all the time. How do I stay at peace? As soon as I'm out of peace, if, I, if I'm living in the moment, if I'm living in the now, and the now... And I'm feeling pretty good in the now, and now I don't feel good. Well, what just happened? Right? What just happened? I was feeling pretty good up until now. I don't have to look too far back to see what happened. Am I pissed off at somebody? Did I offend somebody? Was it resentment? Am I afraid of something? Ask God, is this a defect of character that I'm acting out on right now? I deal with a lot of people. I'm, I'm, I'm in the service business, so I deal with a lot of people all day long. I was fine when I got there. I feel like shit leaving. All right, what just happened? What just happened? Was it me or them? Well, it has to be me. <laughs> it has to be me. Either, either I did something that offended them, or they did something that offended me and had nothing to do with me. It was all about them. Yeah. Do I owe an apology? Do I need to call them? 
Was it just, is it just something that is one of my tools for life, one of my defective characters that I just acted out on and I need to call my sponsor and talk about it? Or call somebody that's working this program. It doesn't even necessarily have to be my sponsor. Just somebody who's working the program. I have a few go-to guys. My sponsor's not always going to pick up the phone. I need more than one. That's how we, I stay in the sunlight of the spirit. I found it in step five. This is how I stay there. Okay. But it warns us but I want, that it's easy to let up. It's easy to drift back and get lazy. Uh, I love, I don't know if I quoted it here, but Pastor Dave Hughes at CBG, I love some of his sermons. And, and one of the sermons he did on a, and this was a couple of years ago, I think, and he talked about their program, but let's talk about our program, right? Our prog- program allows us to tap into this source, right, that frees us, right? We tap into this source, and this source gifts us with all these resources, right? Whether it be the relationship or the finances or the job or, or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that we want. And we start worshiping the resources and we forget all about the source. We forget where we come from. I have to stay in constant contact with the source that has gifted me with the resource. The book talks about deep down within every one of us is the fundamental idea of God blocked right, by, by pomp, calamity, and the worship of other things, right? The ego, the voices that tell me at some point, I see it over, at some point, my mind will convince me that I had something to do with my sobriety. It will tell me that. And it will forget about the source that has gifted me with my recovery. It will make me think I did it. That's the ego. Or just like I said, the gifts, the relationship. We start worshiping the relationship, the money. You know, start getting financially secure. Well, I want more. We suffer from the disease of more, more money. More money, a bigger house, better car, bigger truck, bigger truck. And pretty soon, we're drifting. And I, I'm telling you, I completely understand. I, we, we see it all the time, right? Guys with 15, 20 years, 25 years go out, drift away. Some make it back. Some realize it. One of my sponsees just picked up a 10-year medallion, didn't pick up a 7, 8, and 9-year. Drifted. But just before he realized, I need to get back. I need to get back. Happens all the time. I'm not surprised when people with time go out. The ego's an amazing thing. The promises in the 10th step are incredible. You know, to me, these are the promises that I was looking for. Right? I've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. It's not a threat to me anymore. I would, we were laughing last night. We were at dinner uh, with some of my sponsees and my sponsors in town. And, uh, and the ladies all get together once uh, in the holidays for their sponsorship sponsee thing. 
And I have never once ever, and we're sitting in a restaurant where everybody's drinking Italian restaurant, where everybody's drinking wine, and wine bottles everywhere, the wine racks and everything. I have never in the three decades, over three decades that I've been around here, looked at somebody at the table and say, boy, it'd be nice to have a glass of wine with dinner. Mm-hmm. That never occurred to me, ever. That will blow up my life. <laughs> that glass of wine right there will blow up my life. I don't know anything about a glass of wine with dinner. You know, I'm not saying I never ordered a bottle of wine for dinner. But I have never, ever thought about having a glass of wine. I used to ask what proof the wine was. You're right? Not what kind of wine. What do you have that's 20 proof? I know Lancers is 20. You know? It was never, I've never romanced it. I've never seen it that way. It just, it's just not a threat, Right? When we're seldom interested in liquor, we, when tempted, we recoil like a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We'll find this has happened automatically. No, it's not automatically. It's a result of the steps. It's a result of the program of action. God has entered our hearts and is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We'll see that our new attitude to liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. Well, there was a little bit of effort there, I think. You know, I always said, what do you mean no thought or effort? I had to do a fourth step. I had to do a fifth step. I had to make these amends. What do you mean? None of that had to do with not picking up a drink. What that had to do with was finding a power that has solved my problem. What did it say in chapter four? That's exactly what this book is about, is finding a power that will solve my problem. I didn't do anything to solve my problem. I did some house cleaning. God solved my problem. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We're not fighting or are we avoiding temptation. We feel we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We haven't even sworn off. The problem has been removed. It doesn't exist for us. I don't have an alcohol problem. I have a thinking problem. I have an emotional problem. I don't have an alcohol problem. Alcohol was never my problem. Alcohol was my solution. And I have found a new solution as a result of these first nine steps. And now this step allows me to stay there today. Okay. I, love, I love it when I, you, a lot, I've heard people like use this as an excuse, right? Well, I acted out on some old behavior today. Thank God for the 10th step. And I go, no, that's current. That's that's current behavior right there. That that's not old behavior. If you've acted out on it today, that's current. Yeah, that's that's currently acting out on a defective character. Right? Old behavior is something you don't do anymore. Right? <laughs> I got just thought of it. I'm going to give you a classic example of the ten step. Right, one of the best examples I've seen in a long, long time. Right. So Shannon and I are getting ready to go up to Boca Town Center to do some returns, right, on Sunday morning. And she says, we need to feed the dogs before we go. And I'm going, no, we should probably feed the dogs later when we get, well, we won't, we're not going to be back till later this evening because we, had, we were going to go to the mall, and then the district meeting was that day. We we're going to go from there to the district meeting. And then we were going to come home, which would have been about 4 o'clock, 4 or 5 o'clock. And so she says, no, I, I don't want them to wait that long to eat. And I said, and this is, you know, classic Pat, 
right? I said, so we're just going to let them shit in the house. Should have thought before I said that. And Shannon didn't say a word. She just looked at me. And what I saw in her eyes was, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) But she didn't say it. That's the 10th step. She walked away. And I went, man, did I screw that up, right? (laughs) And I said, how about if we go to the mall and we stop back at the house and let the dogs out and then go to the district meeting? And uh, I rethought my my plan, right? That's the 10th step. You know, I wish I could work it like that. That's a classic example of how this thing works to me, you know, restraint, right? The book says restraint of tongue and pen. Nowadays, I guess it's restraint of thumb and send, you know, like don't send the text, right? Wait, talk to your sponsor first before you send the text. You can't get that back. Well, I think some of the iPhones now, you can get it back. You got a little bit of time to get it back, right? Email, don't send it. Like, let your sponsor read it first. Right? Restraint. At some point, we're going to stop having to apologize, right? We're going to stop having to make amends. We're going to show some kind of restraint. This is the new frontier. This is the new frontier. How do I chip away at those defective character? How do I start being less selfish, less dishonest, less inconsiderate, make my decisions not based on fear. How do I do that? Well, I need God's help, and I need to do it moment to moment. Right? So here's what, I, step 11, we'll talk more about prayer meditation maybe next week, but step 11 really goes into a nightly inventory. right? And the nightly inventory is how well did I do step 10 today, isn't it? I mean, really, that's what we're doing. We're reviewing the day. How well did I do step 10? I have a, uh, a sheet that I send to my guys, and I want them to email it back to me at night. Uh, I'm pretty religious about doing it. I'm, I'm pretty uh, consistent with doing the nightly inventory. Uh, I think it's key. I think it's key. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's how well did I... Did I live step 10? Now, so we added some questions. It'll sound a lot like the paragraph on page 86. And, and the first question is, was I res- how was I resentful today? And if I was resentful, do a four-column or a five-column inventory, however you do it. On that, just on that. Just on that person or that situation. Right? How was I selfish, egotistical, or self-seeking? How was I dishonest? How was I afraid? Do I owe an apology? Have I wrongly kept a secret? Was I unkind, cruel, harsh, or unfeeling? Was I unloving today? What could I have done better? Was I thinking of myself most of the time? Was I thinking of what I could do for others? Was I thinking of what I could pack into the stream of life? And then we added a few questions. Who did I help today? Just to turn it around, to to put some positive in it. What did I accomplish today? What am I grateful for today? And who needs my prayers today? It's how well am I? Let's close the day out at peace. Let's not take a resentment or fear or dishonesty into tomorrow. Let's take care of it right now. And if I owe an amends, first thing in the, when I get up tomorrow, the first thing I need to do is make amends and clear the slate again. 
I don't know why they have it in the order it is. But by the way, this is where 6 and 7 is reeled in, right? I talked about that in 6 and 7. Everything led up to 6 and 7, and everything is leading back to 6 and 7 right here. When we talk about our core defects of character and the seven deadly sins, if you want to add them in there, this is how we keep those in check. This is how we work on them. We spot check and we do a nightly inventory. And then in the morning, we pray for guidance, right? Well, on awakening, on awakening, not after I get coffee, after I eat breakfast, on awakening. Now, as soon as I get up, let's look at the 24 hours ahead. Let's consider our plans. Before we begin, we ask, big book code for we prayed, to ask God to direct our thinking, asking us to be divorced of selfish and dishonest and self-seeking motives. Self-pity, dishonest and self-seeking motives. I do the third step prayer every morning. I, I just love that prayer. Remove me of the bondage, relieve me of the bondage of me. Take away my difficulties so that I can bear witness to you. Relieve me of the bondage of me. Let me carry your message today. Talks in thinking about our day. We might not be able to determine what course to take. Here we pray again for inspiration and intuitive thought. Or a decision. Right? I've got stuff as soon as I get up. There's stuff during that day that I'm fearful of. I'm, like I said, I'm in the service business. I'm doing stuff that I've never done before all the time. There's new merchandise. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have those kind of jobs. You never know what you're going to run into when you get on the job. It creates fear. Ask God. Help me walk through this fear. And usually when I pray for something like that, it says, why don't you prepare? You know, why don't you find out what the model number of what you need to do is or, or find out what the merchandise is and go on the Internet and look it up? You know, that's that intuitive thought or inspiration. Prepare. Preparation makes me less fearful. A lot of times it's just walk me through the fear. Am I the only one that gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and goes, shit? Am I the only one that does that? And I immediately have to follow that with thank you. You Thank you. (laughs) Because that's just my my normal behavior. I don't know where that comes from. Sometimes it's God, get me to work. And let's let's go from there. Just get me to the warehouse. And let's go from there. Get me to my first job. Let's complete that, and then let's worry about job number two. You know? And I just, I just work my day like that. Right? It, it, uh, what usually was a hunch or an occasional inspiration gradually, become, gradually becomes a working part of the mind. So here's the way I see this. I see step 10 and 11. Wake up in the morning and set the course. Right? And then step 10 is about staying on course. There's going to be course corrections during the day, right? I mean, if you, if you set a course from here to the Bahamas, the currents are going to change, the winds are going to change, and you're going to have to adjust the course on the way there. Well, that's the same with my day. Things are not going to go the way I planned on them going. The jobs are not going to be what I assumed they were, and I'm going to have to adjust the course during the day. Set the course, adjust the course, and then how well did I do at night? How well did I do today? 
That's how I say, stay in fit spiritual condition. Right? I leave the house, I'm pretty serene. Then I got to get on Sawgrass Expressway. I got to merge. <laughs> Pat has three forms of merging. You know, he has the one where he's going to get in front of everybody and just floors it, you know, and downshifts. And even if I have to kick up rocks on the side of the road, I'm going to beat your ass to the next toll booth, you know. Or there's that guy that says, you're not supposed to be in this lane anyway. The travel lane is in the middle. Right? Am I right? The passing lane is on the left. The exit lane is on the right. And if you're in that exit lane and I'm getting on, it's my right to shove you over to the lane that you belong in. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, there are some mornings where I just hit my turn signal and I either speed up or slow down and merge nice and... Those are when I'm in fit spiritual condition. I'm not always, I'm not always there. <laughs> but you're right. I catch myself right there. Right? What are you doing? Is this the way you're going to start your day? And I just slow it down. Ten step it. You know? All right. Slow it down. What's the rush? What are you going to really, when you really think about it, what are you going to save? How, how much quicker are you going to get there? Two minutes? Three minutes? How important is it? It's more important that I stay centered you know, and I stay spiritually fit. And to me, 10 and 11 is about that, is about staying there. Did you notice the warning in, in step 11, being still inexperienced and having just made contact with God? It's not probable we're going to be inspired at all time, sponsor. We might pay for this presumption, all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. <laughs> Nevertheless, as we practice this, we'll become more on that plane of inspiration. Right? I've heard, that I think the 12 and 12 warns us that uh, even the most learned spiritual men and women who think what is coming from God bounce off of somebody else to get their opinion on whether that's exactly true. Just because you guys were in treatment together, you were in the med line together, and then you run each other at the bus stop, it does not mean the relationship was meant to be, right? <laughs> My sponsor, he's only one. I prayed for a relationship. I go to the bus stop. There she was. I said, no, that's, that's not how this works. And he goes, what, you don't believe in the power of prayer? I said, mm. that, wasn't, that wasn't what that was about. Right? I need to stay on the beam. I need to stay out of conflict. I don't do conflict well. Conflict gets me high. I need to medicate, and it'll start with something else. It'll, it'll, it'll end with the drink and drug. It will never start there. It'll start with a spending spree, a sex spree, something, food, whatever. It'll start with some other kind of spree to medicate. And then when that's not enough, and if I don't change that behavior and get back on track, it'll end up with a drink or a drug. You know? I'm just one bad decision away from blowing up my life. So I I need to practice this as much again. We'll talk more about Step 11 next week. Thanks. (laughs) Let's all thank Pat one more time. And then we're going to have Ryan with our secretary's report.
Aholic Secretary. Hi. Uh, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of some of the chairs, so if you want to give through Venmo, you can do that as well. And also, uh, there's a QR code in the Zoom, so if you'd like to give, if you're watching Zoom, you can do that as well. I've asked Pete to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome up Pete. My name is Pete. I'm an alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. It's amazing how much this place clears out right before the baskets go around. <laughs> 1940s style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor? If you could raise your hand. Awesome. Go ahead and stand up. All right. So everybody, this is Noah. See him after the meeting if you're available for sponsorship. Uh, Can I see the hands of the recovered alcoholics? Awesome. Noah, these people with their hands raised, talk to one of them after the meeting. Awesome. And is this the last meeting of the month? Yeah. Right? All right. So... Oh, yeah, next week is. Never mind. All right, we have a couple announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Also, the number is down at the bottom if you're looking for uh, any meetings during the holidays. If a lot of places are closed, uh, call those numbers 24 hours a day, and you'll find a meeting. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to a meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedule at the 12-step house. Is anybody here with BCIC? All right. Well, if you need more information on that, just see a home group member after the meeting. Um, And then next Thursday, we have Pat. He's going to be finishing up uh, this series for us. So uh, it's definitely going to be something you're going to want to check out because it's been amazing so far. And then January 4th, we have Tom M. from Prescott, Arizona, starting a series for us. He'll be with us for nine weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. Uh, And then Monday nights, we have our big book study. It's uh, the same building, third floor. Um, We're getting into actually 10 and 11 and into action. So you definitely want to come check that out as well. Looking for something to get for that person who has everything for Christmas? We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. Just ask any home group member if you're interested. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Also, if you smoke, please wait till you're 75 feet away from the doors to vape or smoke. The Boy Scouts are here, and they'll ask you for cigarettes. 
Um, all right, that's it. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Ryan. We have tonight's session in all the past po- speakers podcasted at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. It's where the book comes alive. And those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up in the center aisle, and we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer in our seats again. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Broken man, I travel 
sing along and stomp their feet and raise their arms. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
steals my gold from me And I got one man that steals my dignity Got one man that just won't send me 